This episode contains full spoilers for The Mummy 1932, The Mummy 1959, The Mummy 1999, and The Mummy 2017. <sighs> it's Overthinking Movies, and I'm your overthinking host, Brandon Hain. Tombs with traps, thousand-year curses, women who say, I'm actually part Egyptian on my mother's side for plot convenience. You know what that means. Well, if you didn't, it's mummy movies. Specifically, I decided to watch all the major released movies just titled The Mummy and see which one is best. This includes the 1932 version of the classic Universal Monster films, the 1959 version by Hammer Film Productions, the 1999 blockbuster starring Brendan Fraser that spawned a trilogy you're all probably most familiar with, and the 2017 movie starring Tom Cruise that tried to launch a cinematic universe of monster movies and failed. But here on Overthinking Movies, I try to give everything a fair shake and let my own face value reactions be the judge over cultural perception. To begin with, we have The Mummy from 1932 starring Boris Karloff and Zita Joanne. Boris Karloff is most famous for playing Frankenstein's monster around the same time. However, you probably know him best as the voice of the Grinch who stole Christmas in the original cartoon. Karloff certainly was a man made to play monsters, though unlike Frankenstein's monster, his take on the mummy is much more subtle and low-key, being fairly human on the outside but holding dark intentions within. Though you may be expecting a living corpse wrapped in bandages, this version of the mummy is more akin to Dracula. It begins with the traditional setup. A group of archaeologists explore a tomb despite warnings. One of them finds a chest that reads, Death will come to whoever opens it. They disagree over opening it. However, of course, one of them is alone and he opens it. Otherwise, the movie couldn't happen. Inside the chest, he finds a scroll and through reading it, he brings a mummy inside the tomb to life. Upon seeing it, the man is cursed going mad and laughing hysterically. We later learn he was unable to stop laughing until the lack of oxygen killed him. It's a legitimately creepy scene. In fact, the movie is the creepiest of the bunch, which I can't say I expected. But then again, the later movies are mainly action films. I guess you gotta hand it to 1930s Universal in this era for consistently making horror imagery so powerful and memorable that it not only defined these monsters in our culture, but still resonates to this day. After this, the mummy doesn't walk around chasing people like a zombie. He takes off his wrappings, puts on modern clothing, modern for 1930s, and begins exploring and learning about the new time that he finds himself in. The events that follow involve him attempting to resurrect the woman he loved, who died of illness a thousand years ago, using the body of her descendant, while the archaeologists try to stop him. This is actually repeated in pretty much every mummy movie after this, with some tweaks and additions each time. What makes this iteration interesting, though, is two things. The first is, as I mentioned, the mummy being more like Dracula. He has these mental powers to control others, to the point of even causing heart attacks. The other interesting thing is the way the movie gives agency to its female protagonist at the end. Now, it should be noted that she spends most of the movie under the mummy's control or being fawned after by the male protagonist, who is also under her control? It, it's weird. But during the climax, 
She reveals she is somehow able to remember her past ancestor's life, and now her mind shares the memories of her ancestors. She tells the mummy that as these 1,000 years have passed, and they have spent so much time away from each other, she would rather live her own life as a mortal on Earth, doing her own thing, than be his immortal wife forever. It's strangely progressive for the 1930s, and she is the one that actually defeats the mummy too. But then, of course, it's followed by the male protagonist rushing into the room afterwards to be like, Great, he's gone, now I can love you! <sighs> well, overall, though, I did enjoy the original Mummy, and I do recommend checking it out, but be warned, it's an old movie. It's very slow, and it's methodical. There's no action, it's all just characters talking. I would say it's the weakest of the original Universal Monster films, but it's still, like, a fine movie. Then, a few decades later, we got the 1959 version made by Hammer Film Productions, who were essentially the universal of their age, making Dracula and Frankenstein and, indeed, mummy movies of similar class and quality. This time around, the great, late Sir Christopher Lee plays the mummy, known, of course, for playing Saruman in the Lord of the Rings films and Count Dooku in the Star Wars prequels as well as many, many decades before this of great performance after great performance. This version of the mummy is actually much closer to what you may be expecting. He is wrapped in bandages, doesn't talk, moves like a zombie, and kills by either hitting people or strangling them. Instead of trying to resurrect his lost love, he's more like a mindless drone commanded by our other villain, a Middle Eastern guy who still worships the old Egyptian gods, who looks to seek revenge on the archaeologists who broke into the mummy's tomb. So what we get is more akin to a 1980s slasher movie, where the mummy goes around slowly picking off the other characters until one remains. Our main character is John Banning, who is played by Peter Cushing, Another veteran actor you probably know best for playing Grand Moff Tarkin. And if you don't know who Grand Moff Tarkin is, that was the commander of the Death Star in the original Star Wars. Anyway, Peter Cushing is a great improvement over the protagonist of the original Mummy film, as he is not under anyone's control and is active in uncovering who the Mummy is and how to stop him. They also give him a messed up leg to give him a reason not to go into the tomb at the beginning of the movie, and also, probably, so that there's more tension when he has to run away from the mummy because the mummy's slow. So with the stakes kind of lowered like that, how would they defeat the mummy this time? Well, even though the mummy is no longer motivated by resurrecting his lover, they still give him the same backstory that she died of illness, but instead of the female protagonist being her descendant, here, the main character's wife just happens to look kind of like her when she has her hair down. It's really contrived and silly. So yeah, the wife puts her hair down, and the mummy's distracted by this, and they use this to trick the mummy into killing the man controlling him, and then lure the mummy into a murky bog where the police shoot him until he falls under. Well, until presumably the sequel. Now, like the first Mummy, it's well acted and has great sets and decent writing, but the change to the Mummy being purely a drone to be commanded by others makes him pretty uninteresting and unintimidating. Especially because this means the people the Mummy kills are always conveniently put in situations where they wouldn't be able to run away. It's definitely not a bad movie by any stretch, it's just I felt it was the most middling of the bunch. 
But now we come to a movie many of you might have actually seen. The 1999 version of The Mummy starring Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weisz, John Hanna, and Arnold Vosloo as our mummy this time. This movie is actually a remake of the 1932 version, and at face value that may seem hard to believe given that this is more of an action movie instead of a horror movie. However, it really is. If you think about the overall story, it's very much the same. But now, with the increased scope and structure and big-budget action of an Indiana Jones film, not only is it about the mummy trying to resurrect his lost love, but now he has world-bending superpowers, being able to suck the life out of people, and even causing the literal plagues of Egypt from the Bible, and that's just like, in the middle of the movie. It's much more goofy, over-the-top, and rougher than the original 1932 movie, but it's far, far more entertaining. This is made possible by a number of different elements. Really good action choreography, fast pacing, energetic performances with good chemistry, and good dialogue with consistent laughs. The movie is a bit too over-reliant on computer-generated special effects, which of course now look bad, but again, they have good performances and choreography that play well off the special effects, which makes it easier to believe in them. What I felt didn't really work in this version is the opening 20 minutes or so where the writing and comedy isn't up to the same standards as the rest of the movie, and the way the romance between our two leads starts. Brendan Fraser is introduced to Rachel Weisz as a scoundrel, a Han Solo-type troublemaker. He forcibly kisses her as a joke, and instead of, you know, Rachel Weisz being disgusted by this and wanting to get as far away from him as possible, she instead goes through this, like, comedic denial of realizing she actually liked the kiss and is attracted to him but doesn't want to admit it. It's pretty messed up and uncomfortable, which is a shame since I felt after this scene, the relationship progresses believably, and I really felt the chemistry between them. Well, okay, felt is an understatement, as they constantly have their hands all over each other, like, they feel like if they're not constantly touching, they're gonna burst into flames. And with chemistry that electric, they carry the movie easily, and the strong supporting cast only cements that. Obviously, I recommend this movie. And if I were to use a scene from the movie to recommend it, it would be when the mummy roars at Brendan Fraser like a monster, and Brendan Fraser, instead of looking scared and running away, roars back at the mummy and then blasts him with a shotgun. It's a really silly movie, but man, it's a lot of fun. <sighs> so finally, we come to the 2017 reboot of The Mummy starring Tom Cruise. Now, I said at the beginning that I tried to give every movie a fair chance despite its reputation and let my own impressions from watching it be the verdict. With all that said, The Mummy 2017 is a terrible movie. It's cynical, soulless, and is the most generic example of a movie made to set up a cinematic universe that I can think of. The main flaw that destroys the movie from the beginning is that the writing is awful. It's painfully unfunny, the characters act like children, and they're constantly whining. This is compounded by our hero, played by Tom Cruise, being a bad person from the moment we're introduced to him. Him and his partner, played by Jake Johnson, are riding camels overlooking a hill of a town in Iraq. And to convince his friend to hurry up and go to the town with him, Tom Cruise 
cuts open the bag containing his water supply and takes off. Yes, obviously there is water in the town, but this is already really strange and mean-spirited. In the scene right after this, which introduces our female protagonist, played by Annabelle Wallace, we learn that days before, Tom Cruise slept with her, then took her map to a tomb while she was asleep and took off. Now, his awful behavior technically has a point, because at the end of the movie, it's revealed to be like a redemption arc. Tom Cruise ends up sacrificing himself to save her and redeem himself, but because I hated Tom Cruise's character throughout the entire movie, when this happened, I didn't care. And it seems that most audiences didn't either. And this one actually changes the story and the backstory of the mummy much more than ever before. Here, the mummy is a woman who was jealous because her father, the pharaoh, chose a newborn baby son as an heir over her. She then makes a pact with Set, the Egyptian god of death, who gives her supernatural powers over death. Those of you familiar with the basics of real Egyptian mythology know that Set is actually the god of war. Anubis is the god of death. But I guess the writers either didn't have access to Google, or they just didn't care and picked Set because... Anyway, after making this pact and essentially becoming a demon herself, she kills her father, kills the baby, and then tries to bring Set into her world through the body of a man. However, like the other versions, she is stopped by palace guards and mummified alive. A thousand years pass, Tom Cruise and his gang wake her up, and Tom Cruise is cursed by her, which means that she has chosen Tom Cruise to be the body for Set, but this also means until she is able to do that, Tom Cruise is completely invincible. He can now survive a plane crash and all sorts of attacks, which means there's no tension in any of the action scenes because we know Tom Cruise can't be hurt. But the writers apparently, I guess, didn't think this was a problem. The only form of tension the movie tries to have is at the end, when Jenny, our love interest, who Tom Cruise has known for maybe like three days, is killed by the mummy, and Tom Cruise is also captured by the mummy. But, in a twist, Tom Cruise intentionally takes Set into his body and uses his new demon powers to suck the life, or the unlife, whatever, out of the mummy, and then he sacrifices his humanity that's left to bring Jenny back to life. He then wraps himself in bandages for some reason and becomes the new mummy. It's not even like he's disfigured or anything, he just wraps himself in bandages. Oh, right. Also, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is in this movie, played by Russell Crowe, only because he runs a secret organization that studies monsters, because this is a setup for a cinematic universe. However, this movie did so poorly that they actually rebooted the cinematic universe before it even started. And instead of trying to tie all these movies together, they decided the reboot would just be a bunch of movies that were their own thing. You know like what movies used to be. That began with 2020's The Invisible Man, which is actually a very good movie. It's just a shame it took the worst mummy movie possible to get there. Oh, okay, happy to be done with that. That ends our exploration of the major movies with the title The Mummy. And I think I came out of this with a better understanding of why mummies aren't as iconic a movie monster as, say, vampires or werewolves. Whether they are portrayed as zombies wrapped in bandages, or godlike beings with superpowers, 
Mummies tend to feel like a combination of different monsters rather than their own distinct creature. The only thing that mummies really have that separates them is their setting, the imagery and culture of the ancient Egyptians. But this is also a weakness because it makes it hard to separate them from the mythos of ancient Egyptian beliefs. Vampires and werewolves don't have this problem. Yes, Dracula immortalized vampires living in big Romanian castles, but as we've seen time and again, you can put a vampire anywhere, or a werewolf, and it doesn't take away from what defines them. I'm not saying a great mummy movie can exist, but we need either a completely different take on them, or something that plays harder into the strengths of what makes tombs and curses and the undead scary while tying it into our 2021 fears. Maybe have a movie entirely set in ancient Egypt, or have modern Egyptians write and direct the movie instead of having yet another American movie about Americans being scared of a foreign thing. I think there's tons of potential here for something that could be truly horrifying, and I really hope it doesn't take a thousand years to get it right. Anyway, that was really fun. I'm happy I was able to finally watch some mummy movies, as they're the one part of monster mythos I haven't really touched that much. If you'd like to see more retrospectives like this, with like, I don't know, The Invisible Man, or The Creature from the Black Lagoon, or or if you just want to recommend a movie or a topic in general for this podcast, you can send those to overthinkingmoviespodcast at gmail.com. For more episodes of Overthinking Movies, as well as the other podcasts made by my team of talented co-workers, you can find those at goldhitswkva.com, star967.com, or wchx1055.com. You can also find Overthinking Movies on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere you can find your podcasts. So, in summary, the original 1932 Mommy is probably the creepiest of the bunch, but the movie I'd recommend to general audiences is the well-loved 1999 version starring Brendan Fraser. That's a wrap. Uh, no pun intended. 